Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Jen. I'm Natalie. I'm Ginny. And we are the Art History Babes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, everyone. So this is a very special occasion because the four of us are recording and we're actually sitting in the same room. Yeah. This is wild. It's been a year yes. since we did this oh and i'm so happy and against all the odds against the nightmare that was is has been continues to be <laughs> 2020 <laughs> we are here together we are and if you uh if you follow us on the social media, especially those lucky people out there that are on our close friends <laughs> on instagram you have seen the the chaotic weekend we have had oh boy. and it has been one for the record books for sure it's so. been chaotic good yes 100 um, percent. we are in a beautiful little cabin it's perfect in a vineyard mm. in the middle of freaking nowhere <laughs> it's true could potentially be haunted but it could just be birds i think it's birds i because like you know that i I would welcome a haunting opportunity, but I really just think it's birds because birds are scary too, though, man. Yeah, birds birds can be scary. It's true. But yeah, this morning we were all awoken by a kind of continuous knocking. We were like, mm, that's weird. It's, it's 8 a.m. on a Saturday. And then I went outside and a bird just flapped away so it was just a bird like fucking banging a nut yeah. on our roof i think we have a woodpecker i think yeah i think it was a woodpecker he came back over here later he was pecking sleeping. away when we were out there earlier and they're relentless that woke us up but let me tell you that it was a lot scarier when i heard it at five in the morning mm. when yes, yes. everyone else was asleep and it was dark out and i was scared yeah i thought sure. i was going to see a cryptid I thought I was going to see Bigfoot or the Chupacabra or any variation yeah. on that. So yeah. anyway. I was just like, I, lo- I love that you go the monster route. Oh, I went cryptid I, right away. I, w- I was just afraid that it was like someone there to murder A us. creepy person. Just a, a literal I mean, that's, person. Yeah, just a person, like a creepy person. That is scarier. That is, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, right. that's much more realistic. Yeah. <laughs> I would rather be killed by Bigfoot than a night stalker, same, but alas, same. this is the world we live in. Well, we're still alive. We are still here. As and of now. We're still alive, and we have really made it through most of this year, which has felt, hmm, I don't know, apocalyptic? Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Ah, I see what you did there. Foreshadowing. Transition. So in the spirit of the apocalypse which we're currently <laughs> in, apparently. Uh, we have decided we're going to talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The uh, inspiration, too, for this episode came from our Halloween costume this year. Incredible Halloween costumes. We blew it out of the water yet again. We're the we're best. So- <laughs> Bow down. We win Halloween every year. And you just shouldn't even try. <laughs> we are unbelievably good at group costumes. Like, it's absurd at this point. Like, No, no, it's great. We've it's... really killed it 
yeah, three three years now. And yeah. So yeah, yeah, definitely check out those photos in the TikTok. We're on the TikTok now for the <laughs> oh, for yeah. the TikTok. TikTok kids out there. Hello, we're min- we're millennials. <laughs> Hello, uh, that's all, Corey. That Corey best? has figured out what the kids are up to. I have no idea how to use TikTok, and I, I know that's so cliche and boring. Like, oh, what's a TikTok? But I really don't know how to use it. So I really like watching them, but making them is like yeah. a whole nother level. Yeah. So check out all the fun Halloween content. And so let's get into our subject We're having for today. such a blast that this episode's going to be kind of a sleepy episode. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we have expended a lot of energy. <laughs> it's hard to do a photo shoot when you don't have a photographer. <laughs> exhausting it was you know it was difficult so much running back and forth yeah we did it we're all pretty hungover i had a pretty big night last night but it was big now i went to bed before 10 i just abruptly decided it was done i needed to go i needed to lay down jen was asleep in a chair by 10 30 (laughs) in Uh. my underwear (laughs) i was up till three in the morning up far too late And I was just there. (laughs) (laughs) You really were. And I was just like still going. And you were just like present. I'd like crack open an eye and I'd be like, yes. Mm -hmm." (laughs) I was really happy that everybody was up when I woke up in sheer confusion, Mm. wondering where my phone was. uh, Which is a, a marker of Jen got drunk. Is mm. that she lost her phone? <laughs> Here we are. You know, it's the end days, the end times. We're all just doing what we can to well, get by. Let's talk on that subject. Let's let's, let's speak do it. on it. Let's start talking. So, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? Everyone's heard of them. Kind of a cultural motif, mm-hmm. I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so, where do they come from? Well, this imagery is a biblical subject. So the Bible has a lot of different books. The Bible is long. The Bible <laughs> is old. And for the most part, it could be kind of dry, but not the book of Revelation. That is the most metal, most badass, killer book of the Bible. It's real weird. Yeah. Um, some weird. parts of the book of Revelation aren't even words. I think they're meant to be recited phonetically. Oh. It's very, very strange. It's a strange book. So if you're into biblical history, which I kind of am, the book of Revelation is just a, a load of fun. <laughs> so, just a party. It's just fun. <laughs> It's also terrifying, and there's a lot of terrifying imagery in the book of Revelation, and we don't have the time or the energy to discuss the insanity of the book of Revelation as a whole. (laughs) So for today, we are just going to focus on the four horses of the apocalypse. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in the book of Revelation... The four horsemen of the apocalypse are these figures that appear in the New Testament's final book, which is Revelation. 
Revelation was written by John of Patmos, is what we we th- we're pretty sure. John of Patmos. John of Patmos. Back then, there weren't a lot of people, so you could just be like John. <laughs> of- I'm John of this village, and I'm the only one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm and this village is John. Yeah. <laughs> John of Patmos supposedly wrote the Book of Revelation, and in the Book of Revelation. The story tells of a book or scroll that's in God's right hand that is sealed with seven seals. And so, like, the Bible's really big on, like, numbers. There's the seven days of the seven weeks of the seven years. Seven's a big number in the Bible. So God has this scroll that is sealed with seven seals. And every time that one of these seals opens, something buck shit wild happens Mm. in the world. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the first four seals are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So the story goes that the Lamb of God opens the first four of the seven seals, which summons four beings that ride out on white, red, black, and pale horses. So in John's revelation, The first horseman is on a white horse, carrying a bow, and given a crown, rides forward as a figure of conquest. And this figure invokes pestilence, Christ, or the Antichrist. We'll get into that. The second figure rides out on a red horse, and this horseman is the creator of war. So this horseman carries a sword and brings war. The third is a food merchant riding upon a black horse symbolizing famine. And this horseman carries what are those called, Jenny? Oh, scales. Scales. Or they're they're weighing scales. Weighing yeah. scales. You've seen them before. The fourth and final horse is a pale horse. So that's kind of open to interpretation. But the pale horse is thought to be like a sickly green sort right. of just a bad horse. It's it's on death's door. The if horse not already looks crossed through. Bad. <laughs> if you saw I'm this horse, there. you would be like, whoa, that horse needs some help. Yeah. Take that horse to the vet. Take it to the vet, please. Please. And on the fourth horse, the fourth horseman is Death, who is accompanied by Hades, and Death is usually holding the stereotypical scythe that represents the Grim Reaper. Right, right. And so the quote is, they were given authority over a quarter of the earth to kill with sword, famine, and plague, and by means of the beasts of the earth. And so this is the Christian apocalyptic vision of the four horsemen, and they are set to bring forth the end times. So the four horsemen are harbingers, 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 harbingers of the <laughs> last judgment. So that the number of horsemen is four is also important, you know, Bible numbers, numbers, big deal. Four is associated with creation. So for example, the four living creatures is a thing in the Bible. And that is a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle. Mm. Also, 
four is associated with the earth. So, for example, the four winds, that Mm -hmm. is also a big deal in Mm -hmm. the Bible. So that is where the four horsemen are discussed in the book of Revelation. So let's get into these horses. Horses. Horse time. Also, before we start, who was a horsey girl growing up? Because I definitely was. Totally. I no, loved horses. No. I was totally. I would draw horses. <laughs> I collected horse those little That's horse nice. figures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had nice. I loved uh I loved the book Black Beauty. Oh, me too. I had a horse that I yeah, it was just like a, a horse figure kind of thing. Like not a stuffed animal, but just like a a toy that I would like take to daycare with me every day. Oh, yeah. I, I liked horses. I went apeshit for horses. <laughs> I had horse everything for all most of my childhood until I actually <laughs> saw a physical, real breathing horse mm. and realized, holy mm. hell, these yeah. things are huge. Yeah. They smell bad. Mm. They got real big teeth. They do. So I was scared of horses after that and um, continue to be to this day. What do you know? Anyway, let's talk about some horsies. Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. So the first horse, and I guess if it's not clear, we're all doing these based on our costumes. Oh, yeah. So we're each going to be covering the horsemen that we dressed up as for Halloween this year. So I'm going first with the white horse, also known as the white rider. Or just conquest, whatever you want to call it. And I'll start with the specific line from Revelations. It's Revelation 6, 1 to 2. Is that how you say it? I don't remember how you say Bible verses. Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying as with a voice of thunder, Come. I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Conquer. Yep. Very clear in the conquering. Yes. That is what we are here to do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Less clear is the interpretation of what exactly this means. It's a lot. Oh, man. Yeah, this one's a doozy. I was going to say, I don't know why. All the other ones seem to be pretty clear. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, cut. <laughs> and this one, it's like five potential different meanings. So there's three that mainly are discussed, and those are the ones that Jen already mentioned. The white writer as the Christ figure, as the Antichrist figure, or as pestilence disease. And then there are two kind of less common ones that I'll go into. So the first one, we'll go over the White Rider as a Christ-like figure. And this was really popularized by the second century theologian Irenaeus. And he was, I think, the first that we know of to interpret this horseman as Christ himself. And in that way, it would represent the spreading of the gospel, the spreading of Christianity successfully throughout the land. And, you know, various scholars since then have supported this idea. And they use a later sighting in Revelations 19 of Christ mounted on a white horse to kind of further say that, yeah, this is an earlier depiction of Christ. They use that same passage <laughs> to then later say that it's the Antichrist figure because the descriptions are slightly different. 
So other people have been like, well, no, the original guy has one crown. Later, Christ has multiple crowns. So that means it's a false prophet. It's like oh, almost Christ. Tricky, tricky. Yeah. So That's literally. The thing about the Antichrist <laughs> is you would think anti, like opposite, but he's just like a poser Christ. Exactly. <laughs> Which is really confusing. Yes, it is. It is. Yes. Okay, so this, the Antichrist interpretation is the one that's used in the prophetic interpretation. So the idea that this is all in reference to a future great tribulation where we're all going to like go through the apocalypse and experience it in our, you know, in our lives. We're going to go over that at the end, kind of all the different interpretations of what the four horsemen represent as a whole. But the Antichrist goes with that prophetic interpretation. Infectious disease. I like this one the best, but I also think there's the least amount of evidence for it. Mm. I don't, it's not in Revelations. There's no real mention of this horseman being tied to pestilence, except for that line that Jen read earlier about I'll just read it again. Quote, they were given authority over a quarter of the earth to kill with sword, famine, and plague, and by means of the beasts of the earth. And um, that has been interpreted as both referring to only the fourth horseman or all four. So I think in reference, if if we're saying that that's talking about the four horsemen together, then that's where people have tied the first horseman to plague and then from their pestilence. But if it's only in reference to death and the final horseman right. yeah. having, you know, access to quarter of the earth to kill, which is right. what death would do by all of these means, then there's no evidence that the first horseman has anything to do with pestilence. Mm-hmm. The reason I like that interpretation, though, and it's more commonly used in contemporary interpretations of the four horsemen, that the first one is pestilence. Visually, it's cool because he uses the arrow to spread disease. It's like the oh, disease, the tip sure. of the arrows are like disease covered arrow. in disease, yeah. and that's how pestilence is spread all over the land. So that's just a cool visual. And it, yeah, the yeah, arrow or the bow and arrow otherwise just doesn't necessarily hold a lot of meaning. Um, right. Unless, <laughs> God, there's so many options here. This is so fun. I love it. <laughs> it's just speculation, speculation. Unless you go with Edward Bishop Eliot's interpretation, which is that it's a prophecy of the history of the Roman Empire. So, yes, yes, yes. I like this one a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And again, well. we'll go more into that whole theory at the end of the episode after we go through our horses. But in this theory, the bow is tied to the island of Crete, which Crete is the origin of the lineage of emperors that ruled during the empire. So then the bow would represent the like prosperity of the empire when it was at its height. And those emperors came from Crete. Crete is known for their archery. Right. So that again makes sense, but only if you, you know, go with that interpretation as a whole. And then the final one, I like the least. <laughs> Can't tell. I only have two little things on it. It's that it's war. So then that would mean that the white horseman is war as a whole. And the red horseman, who Cora's about to go into in a second, would be a more niche meaning of civil war. So, mm. and again, that kind of <laughs> ties back to the Roman Empire because it's the idea of like, 
conquest and war mm-hmm. for prosperity's mm-hmm. sake, for mm-hmm. the, growing the empire, and then the destruction would start with civil war and with right. internal mm-hmm. struggle. So, like, conquest represents the luxurious sort of idea of the spoils of war, but then, like, the red horse is Like, just- winning war, basically, yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. Uh, I don't like it. I know, right? Just it's it's the least fun option. So interesting. Yeah, but those are all the potential meanings of the you got a lot. Yeah, white horseman. Do it, horseman. You guys want to we- take a little breaky break and then come back? Yeah, let's take a quick breaky break and then we'll come back and I will tell you about the war horse. War horse. <laughs> Not the movie, but <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> We have returned. We're back. Oh, I just got a little chill. Ooh. A little chiver. You got a chill? Chiver chill down my spine. Ooh. Should I light a fire? Good oh. luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a really cool little fireplace here. That uh, It's adorable, but... It, oh, I don't mm. think we have any wood in here, do we? No, we'd have to go Oops. out to the to the land. Well, that's to the enough acreage. to make it a no for me, sir. <laughs> it's dark. Off a remote. It's very dark outside. It is. It is. But they have like nice lights and out there. Oh, it's though. cute. Yeah, it's lovely. Oh yeah, weren't we I'm gonna like scared. eat dinner out there or something? Are you a little spooked? <laughs> I stay spooked. <laughs> stay spooked. I was friends. spooked last night. I'm spooked right now. <laughs> It's probably fine. This is appropriate for the Halloween season. This like mm. creaky cabin, mm-hmm. but I'm spooked. Yeah. Anyway, Get let's spooked. let's talk about this red horse. All right. So I was the red horse. Yeah. Of war. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <Wow>. scared. <laughs> so I'll I'll start with my my Bible verse as well, please. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see, and another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. Revelation 6, 3, and 6, 4. <laughs> Nailed it. We don't know how to quote the Bible. <laughs> and say that's different fun. every John time. John twenty right. twenty five. <laughs> we are not theologians, John, and I think that's fine. That's John with an N and no H. <laughs> Refer to John with an H for verses a hundred through a million and five. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> I hope we're not making a bunch of Christians mad right now, but if we are, then what's done is done. Just deal with it. Hey, man. Words to live by. That's my creed. If I've learned Um, anything this week, it's you can't control if people get mad. Exactly. We have zero control over that. Okay. So, um, (laughs) Red Horse of War. So, mine is honestly pretty straightforward. Must be nice. The red is associated with this horse and horseman. The red color of the horse represents the blood spilled on the battlefield. Bloody, bloody war. That's basically what's going on here. It also 
can represent the planet of Mars, which is the planet of the god of war. Yes, of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yes. But also big Aries energy. Up. Totally. Shout out Aries. What's up, Aries? Well, isn't um this is gonna be quick, quick, quick divergence. Mars is the god of war, mm-hmm. and I think Aries is also the god of war, but like one is the Greek name and one is the Roman name. I Aries think is so. Greek. Is Mars is Roman? That sounds Hold on. right. Mars, yeah, Mars is the planet that, you know, controls Aries. Like, mm-hmm. it's dignity. I guess that's the phrase. Aries oh. means dignity? No, no, no. Mars is considered in its dignity in a yeah, fiery that's, Aries. That's, that's oh, it's the ruler. Mars yeah, that controls Aries. Mm-hmm. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Like, Got it, got it, got it. Venus rules Libra. Mars rules Aries. Yeah. I don't know if Aries is a Greek word. I don't think it is. I think Aries is just like some word. (laughs) No, it's it's Greek. Oh, okay. Well, it's just some word. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. Aries is Greek. And Mars is Mm -hmm. the Roman counterpart. So you know how you have like, okay. You're right. Venus, Aphrodite, same bitch, different names. Because the Romans took everything from everyone else. Okay. So to just clear all that up, reiterate. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. uh, (laughs) Planet of Mars. Uh, We know Mars, red planet. Elon Musk trying to get us there right (laughs) now. It's not, that's not a way. Like that's not. um, He is red. Yeah. (laughs) He's got a red energy. <laughs> but no, I just like, he's trying to get us there right now to like avoid the apocalypse, even though it, that's a no-go because like if we can't survive on a planet made for us, like I don't know why people think we'll be able to survive on mm. Mars. Like, yeah. I, I don't want to go. Yeah. No, no thanks. But um, anyways, so Mars, it is the ruler of the sign of Aries. Mars is Roman. Mars is Roman. That's Roman. Yep. Aries is Greek. Yes. And yeah, they're the god of war. So uh, if you have any Aries in your chart or you know any Aries, can be a combative, yeah. <laughs> a combative energy. Yes. True. Um, and yeah, so just, you know, symbolically speaking, like Aries energy, red is the color and it tends to represent some kind of fiery combat, very like... Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm intense competition and yeah war so in the context of the apocalypse it has been prophesized that there will be some type of war to end all wars there will be right the war of all the wars where that gets really tricky is like there's always a war to end all wars you know like throughout history Every war that's happened, people are like, this is the war to end all Yeah, they're wars. like, oh, he, this is world war. Never mind, that's it. one, this is two. And this is two. <laughs> we'll just keep adding numbers. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's also part of it, too, is if you want to go into the concept of the red horse a little deeper than just face value of war, you can also think about the idea of false Christs bringing total war. Like we talked about this Mm -hmm. idea of the false Christ as the Antichrist. So a false Christ will bring on total war. And then there's also, I like this because it's a little bit more of a human bend on it. It can be representative of the inclination to accept war as inevitability. Oh. And I like that a lot because humans like to think war is some kind of an inevitability. Right. And that in itself is destructive, right? Mm -hmm. 
So that's kind of taking it, you know, a little more deeper and actually kind of thinking how it could possibly represent something, I think, a little more personal. Really quickly, do you guys remember when people were trying to say that, like, Obama was the Antichrist? Oh, and yeah. That he oh, was yeah. bringing upon the end of the world. That's and, my like, favorite. I love <sighs> I, all of the Obama just hysteria is so much fun for me. Obama is the you know Antichrist. probably not fun for? Obama. Obama <laughs> is a reptilian from the oh, right. planet. Maybe it is uh, What the hell's the planet? I don't know. Nibiru. <laughs> I'm so proud of you for pulling that out. The way that you oh, just yeah. like pull that out and point it like <laughs> Nibiru. I wish I could have given you the confirmation that I knew that was true. I have no idea what you're talking about. That I just love these crazy conspiracy theories but i don't believe in them at all and actually i think obama is fine he doesn't give a fuck what anyone (laughs) says about him he's producing stuff on netflix now (laughs) 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 whatever i mean that's the state we should all get to i mean regardless of the producing on netflix but just getting to a point where you're like well you know some people are gonna say some fucking Mm -hmm. crazy shit but I'm just going to produce content. I feel like that's yes. our life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, you just got to do stuff and people are probably going to say crazy shit about it. And you just got to kind of keep doing yeah. your stuff, you know? Yeah, v- pretty straightforward representation of war. It's pretty clear why war is destructive, why it would be representative of something apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. You know, you got blood, you got killing. You got all of it. So big sword, red horse. Yep, red horse, sword. Sword is what this horseman wields. And then, yeah, just different. We'll get a little bit more into specific depictions, but war's been depicted in a lot of interesting ways. There's one that we're going to talk about later where war is literally like not wearing any clothes. Yeah. And like, like a Tarzan. Yeah. Like, yes. We were talking about how you should have done that <laughs> when you're in the like, shower. just underwear. And I'm like, yeah, why are you going to war in your... Shouldn't you be wearing That's... like armor, you know? <laughs> Isn't that like old school, like how they used to go to war? Naked? Like, yeah. I swear no. to God. Really? I think so. I think when the Romans were battling like the Visigoths and stuff, you I swear what? to God, they would be like naked. I really think they would. I think we're just like, making stuff up now, but <laughs> No, honestly that does that does sound <laughs> I swear that does, to we you. can we can fact we can fact yeah, check I'll ourselves this if I'm wrong. over the break. That does sound familiar and like probably part of that has to do with like some kind of crazy masculine kind of warlike mentality armor yeah and and it's also like if you're so warlike where like that is woven into the fabric of like your belief system where it's like i'm gonna go in a battle and if i die in battle like fuck yeah and like i'm gonna go to heaven and like yolo be eating grapes um (laughs) That's what you hope yeah, for. Like on you a go hammock. for the grapes. <laughs> you go yeah, I mean, the like grapes. the Vikings and like were like, "Fuck yeah, Valhalla!" Like, yeah, let's go. Yeah. I mean, no, they I weren't think- naked. Because it was cold. The Greeks um, were naked just because the they were naked, but they used to wrestle naked, which mm-hmm. I say bring well, it back. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Greeks were like all about those naked dude bods just flapping all around. <laughs> like that's what they wanted to see 24-7. That's just fun. That's just good fun. <laughs> just good, good, clean fun. But only men, not women. Of course. So yeah, that's mostly all I have to say on Red Horse of War. 
And I think I'll pass it along to you, Jin, to talk about the black horse of yes. salmon. Right. Let me pull up my computer. Hold on. The black horse, which represents famine, which is an interesting one. But first I shall read the passage from the book of Revelations. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. I looked and beheld a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a Daenerys, and three quarts of barley for a Daenerys, but do not damage the oil and wine. Whoa, you better not damage the oil and wine. (laughs) I'm so glad we picked this one for you. Not even just the scales, all of it. No, over like as it came to be, I was like, that gin was perfect. Oh my God. (laughs) You were really perfect for for this one. Even the oil and wine. Like, I just think of you with olive oil and wine. Yeah. Better not damage it. Please do not damage the oil and the wine. Save it for my board. I'm having some friends over. So this passage indicates that the cost of wheat and barley are significantly higher than they would be otherwise. However, interestingly enough, oil and wine are not damaged and there's some interpretations that perhaps this speaks to like the emphasis on luxury goods so like people need especially during this time they needed bread to fucking live like you know wheat barley like that was a very huge stable crop in people's livelihood in terms of like growing it selling it using it to eat bread bread is life (laughs) Yeah, also, (laughs) isn't this back when you couldn't really drink water because it'd fucking kill you? So you had to make beer, so the barley for the the beer so that you could drink water. Right, right, right. So there's, like, some interpretations that the fact that the oil and the wine are called out as, like, oh, like, those will not be impacted during a famine of, like, oh, you know, drawing attention to the fact that people of a certain class who they're never at risk of running out of bread and, like, they're really all about, like, the oil and the wine that the plebs have no access to and the plebs have no access to, like, bread to survive. So it's this whole kind of class comment. That's one interpretation. And another is that it could be related to Jesus, in that wine and sacrament and all that good stuff. The, mm-hmm. the blood and the body. The blood and the body. Of the Christ. Mm-hmm. The blood and the body. But it's thought the reason why the horseman, horseman. Uh, <laughs> the horseman. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. It really is such a difference between horseman and horseman. <laughs> there really is. <laughs> So the third horse, horseman, horseman, uh, (laughs) horseman. (laughs) So he's carrying a set of scales that are often thought to be the scales that people would use to ration out bread during a famine. So like they're the balancing scales where you can put a certain amount of things on one and then you balance it out with what's on the other side. And from the passage, when they're talking about Daenerys, that is the ancient Roman coins. 
So again, kind of looping back to the ancient Roman Empire there. Mm-hmm. And the black horseman of famine is often associated as a symbol of imperial oppression. And looking at the Roman Empire and how they were very strict in how they taxed different areas that they colonized, essentially, and how, I mean, there are so many examples in the Bible that I'm already familiar with where they reference the Roman Empire in really negative ways because they were very oppressed by the, yes, yes. you know, Roman Empire. So, like, people in modern-day Israel were under the control of the Roman Empire and were persecuted by them. And so, like, you'll see things like, I think I talked about this briefly in our episode on the Dev, Satan, and um, <laughs> in case you don't know his nickname, yeah, uh, the, you know, uh, we, the devil, we, Satan, call, him, we Lucy. call him the dev, the dev but you may know friends. him as Satan, Lucifer or the devil. But in the Old Testament, I believe it was like in looking at why like the number 666 is kind of prescribed to the devil is like people who were writing the Old Testament would like write in code and they would use numbers. So like they think with 666, that was like referring to a Roman emperor at the time. Nero, actually. Yes, exactly. The worst of the worst. And they would also do things like reference the number seven and be like the bitch with seven, you know, humps or whatever. And that would be like the city of Rome because it has seven hills. Yes. So the bitch of Babylon. Yeah. Yeah. But like the Romans would be too fucking dumb to know what what was happening. Um, (laughs) It's a bunch of dumbos. (laughs) So I do what I do. I think across the boards for all four horsemen, when things do reflect back on the Roman Empire, I I am more inclined to believe those interpretations because there was so much frustration with the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. Naturally, that would manifest in writings of the Bible. Yeah. So that's that's that on that. Uh, And, uh, you know, Famine is a crazy looking guy and some he looks very normal. And others, he looks quite ghoulish. Sometimes he's in little tattered rags Ooh. upon his black pony. Mm-hmm. Other mm-hmm. times, you know, he's he's just like a normal looking guy with a set of scales. Mm-hmm. It really depends. Yeah. I think we should take a quick break. Oh, Let's yeah. Take a quick break and we'll think on that and we'll return. We uh, three three horses down, one to go. Yeah. So you probably know on brand, I was death, the pale horse, pale horse rider. Um, cool. Anyway, (laughs) I'm out of control. Let's talk about the pale horse or death. Beginning with the passage from Revelation 6, 7 to 8. Mm-hmm. Sorry, whoever's out there. If you're a theologian and you're listening to this episode, first of all, thanks for making it to this point. I'm sure you're like, oh, my God. These girls. But um, I, I think that it's cool. 
what you do. Um, maybe you can teach us a thing or two about how to quote scripture because I don't know. Anyway. Also, it'd be cool to do it. I mean, we could do any number of episodes, but it'd be cool to have like a Bible expert on to do some kind of episode at some point. Like, maybe I can well, get someone from St. Mary's. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a good place to start. start. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Revelation. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come. I looked and behold, an ashen horse. And he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. Fucking metal. Yeah. <laughs> I just love the, I just love wild beast. Like, that's mm-hmm. just a good, oh. mm, that's good. It's really cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... The fourth and final horseman is named Death, known by his Greek name Thanatos. Which, oh, yeah. oh yeah. If you're a fan of the Marvel movies, of which I have seen zero, you will know this name. Of all the writers, he is the only one to whom the text itself explicitly gives a name. So unlike the other three, he's not described carrying a weapon, although many popular images of the four horsemen depict death wielding a scythe, which is sort of associated with the Grim Reaper, the scythe, you cut wheat with it as you would cut down the lives of the, the people. You're, yeah, the, <laughs> the, the people. You cut the, wheat with the it, people. you cut people with it. <laughs> Use whatever you come across, really, you cut it down. You could just cut stuff. Um, <laughs> and also unlike the other three, death is said to be followed by Hades, which if you are a fan of the Greek mythology or the movie Hercules, they got a real fun Hades in that movie. Yeah, he's um, good time. Good time. Hades is the Greek god of the underworld. Mm-hmm. So isn't also Hades the resting place of the dead? It's like Hades is... Hades can be a name used for like the underworld. The underworld, like, for the yeah. Place, but it's also the god himself yeah so the color of death's horse this is interesting and this was difficult for me as far as the costume went what the (laughs) hell is a pale horse because it's not a white horse (laughs) because the white horse is conquest so it's a pale horse it's okay it's okay babes it's okay (laughs) Our Airbnb is making some crazy noises right now. And well, we we're are under spooked. like very large yeah. old oak trees. And when we were outside earlier, there were like little branches flying off and falling on our roof. That's all it is. I promise. Yeah. Because every time there is one of those sounds, I look and there's a huge yeah. gust of yeah. wind. Yeah. Consider me spooked. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. Yeah. That's Easily okay. spooked over here. All right, back to the horse. So um, in the book of Revelation, so originally the color of death's horse is written as chloros, which is the original Greek word for the color of this horse. And so it's a very specific color. It can either mean green or greenish yellow, 
or pale slash palette. The color is often translated as pale, though ashen, pale green, and yellowish green are other possible interpretations. The Greek word is the root of words like chlorophyll, which is in plants, Mm -hmm. um, and chlorine. So, you know, makes sense. Based on uses of the word in ancient Greek medical literature, several scholars suggest that the color just reflects a sickly pallor of a corpse. Mm-hmm. And then, it's a sick horse. It's sick. The horse is sick. Take him to the vet. <laughs> um, did they have vets? Not back <laughs> yes. in the day. The vet was uh, a swift knock to the, the old noggin. <laughs> Good night forever. Yeah. it's. I know. It's rough. In some modern artistic depictions, they just show the horse's green. I wanted to get real spooky <laughs> with it, so I went out and was, first of all, I wanted to get a real horse yeah, skull, which telling. I was jazzed about. But yeah. guess what I forgot, y'all? Mm. Horses are huge. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. a real horse skull is like two feet long. Mm-hmm. They're huge. Their heads are big. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I said, forget about it. And I right. got a 3D printed one. Right. And expensive. They're expensive. Very cool. So the Greek word for plague is thanato, which is a variation of thanatos. So there's a connection there between the fourth horseman and plague. So that is interesting because, again, we can't seem to decide where pestilence and plague fit in with the four horsemen. Right. It could be in the white horse. It could be with death. Maybe plague is just a all-around situation (laughs) that happens when... Maybe plague is a state of mind. Whoa. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Hard stop. Do you want me to go investigate the spooky sounds? Just see if anything's out there. No, I know it's just. It's just when it's It's just like it is noises like that just make me jarring. It's definitely jarring. Okay, I'm fine. The verse beginning with "They were given power over a fourth of the earth" is generally taken as referring to death and Hades, although some commentators see it as applying to all four horsemen. We don't know what the real interpretation is. That is just where this all gets a little bit murky. So what we do know is that the fourth horseman is essentially bringing in the real deal, like death. Like it's a lot of people are going to die. And so that's kind of what makes the fourth horseman so compelling is that it really is sort of the culmination of the first three. So with conquest, war, famine, obviously you gonna die. So we are kind of wrapping it up with death and Hades. So some possible interpretations of death is that you could think about death as the destruction of empire. And so that's, again, going with that culmination uh, interpretation. Mm -hmm. Death is the last horse. 
it is the bringer of the end of the empire that set about conquesting with war, which caused famine mm-hmm. and hence death. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Let me hear you say way <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Love that song. Anyway, throughout all of this, it is really important for us to re- remember who wrote the book of Revelation. John of Patmos. Who was he? He was a guy. Yeah. He was a Christian. Yeah. And like many Christians during this time, we think the book of Revelation might have been uh, written around 60 AD, but there's many possible times right, where right. it could have been written. But we know that John of Patmos was a real guy. And he was John of Patmos because he was exiled to the Greek island of Patmos. And he was considered to have been exiled as a result of anti-Christian prosecution under the Roman emperor Domitian. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine that John of Patmos is sitting on Patmos and is like, Fucking, I hate the Romans. Oh, my God. I'm sick of the <laughs> Romans. doing? John of Patmos sitting on Patmos. <laughs> uh, John of Patmos, live from Patmos. <laughs> you know, back then, they didn't have Facebook. I have some things to say. <laughs> there was no Facebook or Reddit or 4chan or anywhere where you could go and, and, and say your, your piece and, you know, just start a flame war with people that you're mad about you know you couldn't dox the roman empire so john of patmos was like man this sucks sucks to be exiled yeah write a book about it yeah yeah and so that is kind of um a big part of where this whole thing comes from like jenny was talking about In the book of Revelation, you are also given such a badass imagery as Babylon, Mm -hmm. who Babylon is not just a city where you go and do all manner of sin, but Babylon was also personified as a woman who rode on a seven-headed monster that had seven crowns. And the idea is that the whore of Babylon represents the excess and the sin of the Roman Empire because Rome is the city of seven hills. Right. So a lot of the book of Revelation is anti-Roman propaganda. Mm-hmm. And that makes a lot of sense because the Romans famously were prosecuting yeah. Uh, yeah. Christians, yeah. putting them on crucifixes and whatnot. Bad times. So <laughs> let's yeah, talk. Man. It's bad times, yeah. man. Yeah. All around bad. Let's talk about some possible interpretations of the four horsemen. Let's talk about it. So let's do it. There is the a Christological interpretation. Wow. And this is so before the Reformation and the woodcut by Albrecht Durer, the usual and more influential commentaries of the book of Revelation thought there was only one horseman riding successively on these four horses. And they thought it was Christ. That's so, crazy. Which is why is that the interpretation? It makes so much more sense that there's four horsemen. Why would it just be Christ like, like running back and horse? forth between and one horse and another? He gets on a different horse. Yes, that's I don't know. sounds chaotic. 
So really, it was art that shaped the idea of the four horsemen. And so that is a interpretation that came out of the Reformation and the time of like the Northern Renaissance. So with mm-hmm. with this right. time period, this schism in the church, right. suddenly right. we are reinterpreting what this imagery would have actually looked like. Yeah. Natalie talked about this a little bit. There's the prophetic interpretation that the horsemen are a prophecy of a future tribulation during which many people on the earth will die as a result of multiple catastrophes. So the four horsemen are the first in a series of seal judgments. So every time a seal is broken, bad things are happening. And so this is when God will judge the earth. And he's giving the world a chance to repent before they die. And then in paradise, there will be a new beautiful earth that's created for all the people who were faithful to him and accepted him as their savior. So John Volvord a Christian theologian and pastor. I don't know why I said it like that. I didn't need to do that to the old to Johnny. John Volvord. <laughs> um, he believed the seals would be open during the Great Tribulation, and this coincides with the arrival of the Antichrist as the first horseman. Huh. So there's some uh, evidence for uh, the first horseman being the Antichrist. A global war is brought upon the earth by the second horseman. An economic collapse is brought upon the earth by the third horseman and the general die-off of a quarter of the world's population as the fourth horseman, which is then followed by a global dictatorship under the Antichrist and a whole mess of plagues. Then there is the historicist interpretation which Nat talked about for a second, which according to E.B. Elliot, the first seal as revealed to John by the angel was to signify what was to happen soon after John saw these visions in Patmos and that the second, third, and fourth seals, they were going to happen in chronological sequence following each preceding seal. And so the general subject is the decline and fall after a previous prosperous era of the empire of the the heathen Rome. So that, I feel, is sort of my most convincing interpretation of all of this, which is John of Patmos, again, writing about the decadence and the excesses of Rome Mm -hmm. and essentially saying, here's how it's all going to end. Rome is the Antichrist, essentially. They're conquering. They are bringing upon war, and we're having famine and death. So there's some historical truths here that support this interpretation. So there are some modern scholars who interpret Revelation that argue that it applies only to the events of the first century of Christian history. So this means that essentially in the first century of Christian history, Rome had famine 
In 92 AD, the Roman emperor Domitian attempted to curb excessive growth of grapevines and encourage grain cultivation instead, but there was a major popular backlash against the effort and it was abandoned. So the idea was to make wheat and barley scarce, but hurt not the oil and the wine. So this could be a reference to this episode where there is a backlash among the populace about what the Roman emperor wants them to grow. So yeah, you know, we talk about the red horse being war who takes peace from the earth. This might represent the prevalence of civil strife. When Revelation was written, there was conflict within the Roman Empire that was happening during and just prior to the first century AD. So all of it essentially can be thought of as just a big fancy metaphor by John of Patmos concerning the Roman Empire. Do we maybe want to take another quick break, come back and talk about a few examples in art? Yeah. Let's do it. We've returned. We're back. We're back, and now we're going to talk about some art. We just kind of picked a few, a few little Boy, uh, examples. Small sampling. It yeah. was hard. There's a lot of really incredible art about the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. The imagery lends itself to some like super badass works. Yeah, yes. and I also think the more like in learning about it, and even just like putting together our Halloween costumes, you know, mm-hmm. obviously like. Costumes are an artistic endeavor, and there was, it was just really fun to kind of see all of our individual interpretations and then how they worked together. And it just became something so its own that, like, yeah, it's just something that the more you learn about, I think you can just do some really cool things with. It's Mm. a rich topic, it's a rich concept. Yes full of potential yes and open to interpretation right clearly yes yes, yes. i mean if there's been nothing learned other than interpretation is very much a component with things regarding the bible (laughs) yes it's it's wild (laughs) yes it is it's wild so the first image we picked This is one of my favorites, which is Todd Shore's Atomic Vacation, which is a pretty big painting on canvas from 2010. And it's so cool. He was born in the 50s, I think like 1954. So born during that time, this painting kind of refers to that Cold War era nuclear war paranoia where you could just like be out doing your thing and just get completely annihilated by a huge mushroom cloud of radioactive shit. Definitely. (laughs) And (laughs) especially during the 50s, he talks about how like, oh, you know, like my family vacations, like we would go in our little camper van and like go out and 
Yeah, we're going to have a know. barbecue. Yeah, yeah. And he said that he still has dreams where he's out in some like kind of peaceful landscape like this. And then there's just a big old mushroom cloud. And it's like a mushroom cloud before the sound wave travels. So you just see this like giant cloud and you don't even hear it yet. So it takes a while to resonate. And then he added the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And I love his interpretation of all of them. Mm-hmm. So at the front is Conquest, whose horse is like looking back <laughs> at War's horse. And they're like, oh. um, they look so scary. This yeah. is like my nightmare. Like I know. when I think about like how scary horses are. Yeah. Like, because they're scary. And you can he, tell that like his work is, I mean, he's like a surrealist painter. Yes. And so you can tell how much of it is like informed. Like these are recurring dreams he's having that are like really fucking fucked up and scary. And then he adds the four horsemen and just kind of add to that drama of something that already feels very apocalyptic. And it is drama. Yes, it is drama. So like you have conquest at the front. He's got like creepy gargoyle feet. He's holding his bow up in the air. His It's like they're charging into battle. His eyes are glowing. War has this like crazy helmet on. He's on fucking fire. He's just on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and War is like yoked. Yeah. I mean. I wish bad. I would have done that today. I wish you guys would just lit me on fire. <laughs> No, no, that's that's for Ginny. <laughs> and then flanking them, you have Famine. And I love this because I was thinking this about... This so great. I was thinking about Famine a lot and like I was looking at so many images of the third horseman, Famine, and how in some he looks like a famished person. So he's like very gaunt and he's like kind of wearing rags. And then there were other ones where like he looked more like full bodied and healthy. And like I kind of liked the interpretation of famine as being one who's like sort of decadent and is like taking from people to cause the famine mm-hmm. rather than just being an object of famine or or a victim of famine themselves. So this interpretation shows a gargantuan <laughs> figure. Just like uh, grossly. Like Jabba the like, Hutt, but like with horns and like weird little like incisor teethies. And he's on, <laughs> like his horse looks like it's having the hardest time holding him up. I love the little lopsided horns too. I know. Famine so looks cute. like Butterball from the Hellraiser movies. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Which if you haven't watched the Hellraiser movies, what are you even doing? Stop listening to this episode <laughs> and go get weirdly turned on by the Cenobites. Well, or is that just me? <laughs> I'll stop. I mean, <laughs> sorry about it. <laughs> and then death in this is also amazing. So cool. Amazing. Has more of that kind of typical Grim Reaper style a little bit. It's in a black robe, skeletal features. It's got its, is it a Sith? Is that how it's pronounced? Scythe. And Scythe. this is the kind of, so, okay, I was... I've gone too far with my Halloween costumes in the past. I almost bought a real scythe. Whoa, dude. Because I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm extra. And this scythe that this 
death. That's is the real holding deal. The two handles mm-hmm. that are on the scythe. That is what like a real scythe looks mm-hmm. like because it's meant to be used. People really do use them to mm-hmm. clear fields and stuff. So this is like it's badass. I'm glad yeah. I didn't spend a lot of money on right. a scythe. Right. Also compositionally, right. it's just so pleasing. It it really is. It's it's it. balanced beautifully. Death has this kind of like cloud of smoke trailing behind it into this mushroom cloud. There's a ring around the mushroom cloud that is made of like an amalgamation of all these demon monster like motifs mm-hmm. the wild beasts i was gonna say yeah yeah and oh <laughs> it's just part. fantastic and there's like some there's like a little you know kind of like cute weirdly cute little I devil love, I love ghost. this guy demon. i love this guy so much with a bunch of eyeballs and he's just so like precious. smoking on top of the air is that what that is called airstream, airstream yeah, yeah. so i want him for I a pet love him in the little posture with yeah he's with the smoking chilling. arm the crossed arm and the cigarette over the shoulder yeah. it's so good or like yeah. a tattoo that would be a great tattoo oh just him. Yeah. yeah for real I well love him quickly this little creature who looks like a little devil goat actually mimics like historical representations of the lamb of god who opens the seals on god's book in the book of revelation so the lamb of god is shown having seven horns and looks like five eyes lots of eyes um so that's no, oh, for sure. I'm yes, just, I'm nice. just, uh, I'm, I'm spitballing here, but this looks similar to me, and I'll yeah. throw, we'll throw the image on there too if yeah. you want to compare. Um, so that could be also maybe some kind of bastardized version mm-hmm. of that lamb, that improved creature. version. <laughs> I like him. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> we are team. This little goat man. Yeah. Whatever yeah. this little goat man is, is so weird and creepy. And there's some kind of like, like strange little text that he's blowing out of his cigarette because he's smoking yeah. a cigarette. It's a 666. Is that what that is? Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's great. And then there's also just like a weird like demon Demi-Gorgon monster in, or in something. The in the, yeah. Oh, man. All amidst just like this very 1950s, 60s era, like all American family, just like camping out you know it could be like utah or new mexico or something it's a beautiful painting it's got so many cool details his work is really cool highly recommend so good so good so the next painting here we have is titled the four horsemen of the apocalypse a painting by Viktor vasnetsov a russian artist and it was painted in 1887 we have from left to right death famine war and conquest and at the very top we have a sweet little lamb of god and there's a little rainbow going over the lamb and you can see that god's book is open so the book Mm -hmm. that holds all of the prophecies the the terrors that will befall the world during the apocalypse the first horse is conquest And Conquest is looking real dope, like just decked out, wearing like a very regal looking cloak, armor, no pants, weirdly (laughs) enough, but that's fine. And he is holding a bow and arrow. 
He wears a crown and he's sitting on what looks like a animal pelt, which would have been some sort of like imported luxury good, right? This looks like it's maybe some kind of wild cat. And so this speaks to the expanse of the empire and having these goods that have been brought from faraway conquered lands. I like that conquest, like right behind the horse, is like toppled columns, Mm -hmm. like what appear to be Mm, like mm -hmm. um, classical architecture Mm -hmm. columns. What's cool about this painting is, yeah, the way that each horseman is mimicked on the bottom register as what's happening on the planet under them. Mm -hmm, So, yeah. yeah, with conquest, we have the toppling architecture and then we also have what look like kings like dead kings yeah below that a bunch of and then this guy who's like holding up it looks like a book like maybe a bible Mm -hmm. to try and protect himself from the white horse yeah underneath them is just all manner of chaos right so the next horse is war And it's the red horse, and he's holding a sword, and War is pretty much nude. No shoes, wearing a little loincloth just to (laughs) cover the goods, and that's it. He's also got, like, crazy red hair, too. Just (laughs) wild hair. Um, War's horse is also looking, like, extra scary with Mm -hmm. um, just the red eyes, really freaky a lot, a lot of teeth on this horse. <laughs> <laughs> and underneath... I'm really scared of those horse teeth. Oh, God. Horse teeth are just so scary. Have you ever seen horse yeah. teeth? Yeah. Oh, they're, they could take your finger off. Oh, yeah. So directly underneath war, you see a king and what appears to be some kind of gladiator. Um, they look like they're in battle. It looks like this gladiator is about to spear this king. Very, very cool. The body movement is uh, just really raw. Um, you get a sense of like the dynamic movement of these bodies. So it's really exciting. Right behind war, we have the black horse represented uh, here as famine. Mm-hmm. And no pants again, huh? Yeah, it's a theme. They just don't wear pants. He's got on kind of like a shirt. Famine in this particular representation is looking famished. gaunt. Yeah. This is a gaunt famine. He's a hungry boy. Yeah. He's hungry. <laughs> wearing like kind of rags, holding um scales, and directly underneath Oof. famine are yeah. um a man cannibalizing another man which is like whoa that is really wild extreme (laughs) yeah yeah and then behind the last horseman is death and in this particular case we have just a straight up pale sickly looking horse looking very gaunt death is actually wearing all white so death, death is, is fully clothed. Fully He's the clothed. only one. He's fully clothed, holding a scythe and ushering in death. So underneath death, we see just the twisting forms of dead bodies or people dying. And then all around them, up above, are what appear to be angels. So maybe those who have been uh, saved by some kind of rapture. Although we don't really know a whole lot about 
the rapture in the book of revelation that's a whole other oh thing. yeah that's a way that's a yeah. whole that's a whole thing <laughs> a whole thing yeah this one's wild mm-hmm. <laughs> i love it it's really fun um it's the one that seems to come up the most mm-hmm. often too when you look up imagery of the four horsemen depicted in art this one always mm-hmm. is at the top yeah and it's really interesting too because this artist victor vasnitsov he was a russian artist who specialized in mythological and historical subjects and was considered to be a co-founder of russian folklorist and romantic nationalistic painting and was a key figure in the russian revivalist movement so this is an artist who was born in the days of the the czars and then saw the mm, yeah. whole shift into yeah. what was then the soviet union right mm-hmm. um and so real interesting guy i would like to know more about him for sure because um this is just such an interesting painting and it's it's just real visceral definitely yes. a lot of movement and, mm-hmm. and it's distinctly yeah romantic too. oh absolutely like, it's it's got those romantic brushstrokes like mm-hmm. it's got that like atmospheric vibe to it you that know cool yeah. moon in the back mm-hmm. yeah. even though it is this very intense scene of true chaos it still has this like romantic atmosphere you know yeah mm-hmm. it's quite beautiful and also pretty horrifying durer are we on to durer oh we yeah. are we we got are- we know that guy with Durer. We are with Durer, Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, circa 1497 to 1498. Woodcut print. Oh, love it. Yeah. That's good. Does anyone have anything specific to say about it? Oh, uh, I mean, you know, Durer, he was, he was the guy, he was the shit. Um, <laughs> he was everywhere, man. You know, he was... That guy was everywhere. He was everywhere. He was bumping all around Europe. His work was so popular. And uh, he made beautiful... I love... um, Woodcut engravings. (laughs) And... uh, Well, and because we've now moved from painting to woodcut, like, we don't have color anymore, which color is a big thing with the Four Horsemen. So it's relying heavily on the iconography Mm -hmm. of the Four Horsemen. Mm -hmm. I love the face of death mm-hmm. yeah death <laughs> is right in the foreground of the work and death is looking fucking wild <laughs> death is looking like he's having the time of his afterlife though <laughs> yeah death is personified by this man who is looking almost dead very emaciated the horse is very emaciated In this particular representation of death, he's not holding a scythe, but rather it looks like he has a trident. He does. So this is the Hades connection. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, Hades carries a bident, which is a two pronged trident. Very cool. Poseidon was the guy with the trident. mm -hmm. Don't forget. Yeah. So the mermaids. Death is. In the foreground, and right in the bottom left corner of the woodcut, you see this huge monster. And so this recalls a lot of these 15th century depictions of the underworld that would show like a big monster devil that was just like 
eating dudes and yep. shitting them out. Yep. And he's yeah. eating what looks like some kind of cardinal or bishop, <laughs> which yeah. is just so great. Cool. <laughs> so much fun. Uh, and so yeah, fun. Death is having the time of his life. I wanted, I'm going to zoom in on this face and just like screenshot it. And I just want it as my phone background. Yeah. yeah it's great. He's just looking enthralled behind death is the, the horse of famine and famine is looking pretty portly mm-hmm. i would say yeah that's a, that's a good word for him yeah that's yeah. a beefy famine mm-hmm. well fed <laughs> stout holding the holding the scales so that's Just how swinging we, it right on back yeah that's how we recognize famine behind famine we see war and we know that it's war because he's holding the big sword and then behind war we see conquest who wears a fancy hat and is holding <laughs> a bow and arrow yeah can we talk about they're how, both how, wearing pretty fucking fancy mm, hats yeah can we talk about how war and conquest look like garden gnomes yeah they just look like you know your average nobleman yeah, yeah. except neither one of them looks frightening to no me or, no or uh in any way uh, yeah, something to be wary of. It's interesting he puts them at the background and mm-hmm. puts death and famine at the foreground because it's usually like they all have the same kind of level or you have conquest and war coming first in like the order that they were announced yeah. in the Book of Revelation. It was smart though because he definitely had the most fun with death. Like that oh, deserves he the was most space and needed to be the focal point. And to be fair, like without the colors, I feel like conquest and war are kind of the least interesting descriptive wise. But maybe that's just me. Yeah, I also, just the act of conquest, though, it does feel like f- forefront material. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know why, it, but we keep talking about conquest and this figure of conquest, and th- what keeps popping into my head is like cult leaders. I think oh, there is like a similarity there. So I, I think of conquest as the leader mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. But I mean, he still has it leading. It's just in the composition of the work. It's in the background of our angle, but mm-hmm. it's still the foremost horse. Like yeah. conquest is still technically leading. Like the arrows is still the first thing. Yeah, but... I guess just in, like I said about him looking like a gnome. I don't. Yeah. I just don't see him as a powerful leader in this depiction. No, I don't think Durr was going for that. I don't yeah. think. Yeah, he... I think that Durr. So the reason why this woodcut is so important is because of the fact that it is a print, and so Durr took the scripture from Revelation and put it into a format that can be duplicated mm-hmm. that can be more widespread and right, so right Durr really gave shape to what was just kind of in revelation maybe you know you have an idea like oh maybe it's kind of scary but at the time of Durr's woodcut this is one of the earliest and most intense images of the four horsemen of the apocalypse so now it's like really scary actually so a lot of people who would have seen this image would have never known what this would even look like also just from like a teacher point of view because i always use this work to teach my students about line and how you can utilize line dur uses 
horizontal lines all throughout the mm-hmm. background of mm-hmm. the work to then juxtapose the natural forms of the four horsemen that are like dynamic they're moving right the people at the bottom who are being trampled and killed it's just mwah, just mm-hmm. perfect mm-hmm. tasty love it all right and then one last image that brought in <laughs> i love this one i just it's pretty fun it's giving me bojack horseman vibes big time it's just so good the four horsemen of the apocalypse by keith piper was created in the 1980s couldn't find an exact year but and it is uh four panels each one a different a different horse and it's definitely depicting them in an incredibly contemporary way the way he has chosen to express these concepts of these four different horsemen. Let's see. The first figure is uh, representing a middle-class Tory voter taking a ballot box. The second figure is a policeman employed to beat up striking minors. Mm-hmm. Ah. The third figure is an American army officer charged with installing nuclear weapons. So that kind of goes back to what you were saying, yep. Jenny, about in taking this imagery, making it contemporary, you can't do that without shifting to the reality of nuclear war. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's where yes. we are now. Yes. And then the final figure is of... It's of Ronnie. It's Ronald Reagan. Oh, my God. Summoned. Ronnie. Uh, Ronnie. Ronnie. (laughs) No. Get out of here. We've had enough of you. (laughs) In this case, very specific interpretations, like literally giving specific characterizations to each of these concepts. And yeah, the style is, it does have a BoJack Horseman feel to it. Each one of them is also this hybrid of a horse and a man. Mm -hmm. The faces are so funny to me because I remember, because I used to draw horses a lot when I was a kid. Yeah, because you're a horsey girl. I was a horsey girl. I could get the shape of the head right, but I always just kind of lost it when I was trying to do like the face of the horse (laughs) and I there's an old I gotta find it I have this old like sketchbook from when I was a kid where you can see all the times that I erased it and tried to get it right and erased and tried to get it right and then I finally must have just gotten frustrated and I just put a little happy face like in the the shape of the horse's head and that's what this is reminding me of (laughs) definitely definitely because that's exactly what's happening like you have a horse face in profile but then a man uh, man's face facing forward lots of teeth Um, oh man yeah lots of teeth The first three are kind of just like general kind of cartoonish faces, but the last one is very clearly Ronald Reagan. It's obviously (laughs) Ronald Reagan. My favorite thing, too, is at the bottom, the apocalypse soon arrow, apocalypse (laughs) sooner, and then apocalypse soonest, Mm -hmm. dot, 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 and then apocalypse now. Yep. So good. Ugh. This yeah. is great. I wish I could get closer and read what it says because their their clothing Did has you zoom text in on, on it. The Google Docs. Oh, it's I, a little hard to tell. I even can't then. zoom in, but it's definitely worth looking up, finding like a high quality image of it yeah. so you can zoom in because there's there's just a lot going on here. Yeah, really. yeah. Keith Piper, great job. 
Hey, Way to go. <laughs> also, this is just another example that kind of speaks to the idea we were just talking about. Uh, this concept of the four horsemen is so rich and you could really yeah. take it in just so many directions. And, and yeah, you can personify these characters or you can look at it more thematically or, you know, or you can do what we did and become the four horse girls of the apocalypse. Or <laughs> you can, you know, like there are just... I almost feel like it's an untapped concept. Like, mm-hmm. you know oh, like I maybe mean? some kind of like collective unconscious thing, like the concept of like four harbingers of of apocalypse. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just I'm just noodling here. But do you know what I really <laughs> noodle on? I'm noodling. Do you know what I really feel? I feel sort of comforted by the fact that we have been saying like. It's like the apocalypse is coming for two thousand years. Oh. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, yeah, It was the yeah. Roman Empire. It Welcome was, to twenty twenty. You know, and we had yes. the Cold War, totally nuclear threat, and like all the way up until mm. our year of our Lord twenty twenty, <laughs> the year of. COVID-19. The year of our Lord 2020. The year of um, election. Oh, oh shit. Man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, That's coming. You know. There's right? Like, will this get out before or after the election? Know. Who's to say? Who is to say? Who is to say? I just think that there's some comfort at least i find some comfort in the idea that you know we always think that the end is near and we get real worked up about it right yeah i get yeah. you there it's easy uh, yeah. to 100% yeah that that was actually something i kind of wanted to maybe discuss to round this out so yeah like when things get nuts, we like to throw around like this is the fucking apocalypse, like and and game over game, man. yeah like we we like to say those things but like yeah, it's it's always been the apocalypse. Like, <laughs> the apocalypse is a state of mind, man. <laughs> like, Whoa. Like, I just, it's just, it's always, it's always there. The, mm-hmm. the All of these things, all of these horrible things that are represented, you know, by the horsemen, they're woven into all of history. Mm-hmm. And so this apocalyptic thinking that there's going to be one big moment and then there's going to be the apocalypse, it's like, no, that's that's not the reality yeah. it's just there are things that reflect apocalyptic thinking there sure, are things sure. that, refl- that represent something apocalyptic in nature but in every time people get a very up in arms about the whole apocalypse thing it's yeah i i love the reminder like We've been screaming about the apocalypse for over 2,000 years. Like, yeah. this is not n- yeah. new. Fear not the horseman. Fear the horseman in yourself. <laughs> That's really you good, go. I also loved that you switched from horseman to horseman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gotta get them you know, both you in there. could be a little combination of a couple of the horsemen. <laughs> you don't need to just be exactly. one. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Fear not the horseman. Fear the horseman. And sticking with mm-hmm. the horse theme, this ain't our first rodeo. Wow. So, Boom. you know, we've, uh, humanity is resilient. 
humanity. If nothing else, goddamn, yeah. yeah. we, we are adaptable. But in it's the wild. same like like memento mori, like you you have to think about death in order to really enjoy life. I also mm-hmm. feel like the idea of the apocalypse is almost like a checking thing for us too. Like mm-hmm. I took a class in undergrad on the apocalypse and we just like read three different novels about like different possibilities that people have imagined up and like they all seemed kind of plausible because if human beings go too far it's like we need that reminder that like we can't take things too far and i feel like the idea of an apocalypse is something that kind of can bring us back Mm -hmm. yeah i think that being aware that destruction and total annihilation is a possibility is a good reminder for everybody to remember what it is that got us to this place in our history. So what separates humans from other animals on this planet is our ability to work in teams, Mm -hmm. to cooperate, Mm -hmm. to be altruistic like all of these things are very specific to humans not to say that there isn't teamwork in the animal kingdom but it's our ability to adapt and cooperate with one another that makes our existence on this planet a reality Mm -hmm. and so we're all pretty scared right now i think this is a time of great fear and a lot of people are are experiencing fear in their lives and the way we're going to get through it is by working together and watching out for each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not seeing other people as your enemies or like trying to be divisive, yeah. Mr. President. Doing <laughs> doing things that maybe you don't want to do, like wear a mask all the time, mm-hmm. but doing it because it's going to help keep other people safe. Mm-hmm. So this is yeah. something that humans know how to do we're good at it we've done it before we'll get through it's not the apocalypse it's not the end of the world we are gonna be okay yeah also i think that's part of the argument i tend to make is i don't i don't think the apocalypse especially in this context like Mm -hmm. biblical apocalypse Mm -hmm. and the end of the world are the same thing Mm -hmm. the end of the world will come yeah, this is yeah. That is a fact. Death. End of the world's coming. Guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know when it's it's gonna happen. Eventually, yeah. the sun will just explode. Exactly. Yeah. No, none of these books like they were all apocalyptic in the way that something happened, and then mm-hmm. there were still people there having to deal right. with it. Yes. It was like, yeah, yeah, there. It wasn't. If it was just it ended, then what's the book? What's there exactly. to talk about? There's the nothing. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah, I, that's another thing Important. to keep in mind. Apocalypse and end of world are two different things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're just two completely different things. Yeah. Um, but we, yeah, we like to conflate them, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, do we need to keep ruminating on the apocalypse? Or should we read a listener mail? I don't think Let's stop. Let's do a listener mail. The listeners are like, oh my God, we get it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got a nice little message here from Jenny. The subject is thank you and a couple questions. It says, Hey, I just wanted to say a quick thank you for these amazing podcasts you all are making. I especially love when you talk about mythology and art. I just graduated college with a major in art education, and I can honestly say listening to your shows has helped me find a little extra joy in life and remind me that I love art even while living in the stress of art classes. 
I'm now a first year art teacher teaching middle school and high school. What topics, artists, do you wish you would learn about while in middle school and high school? Also, I'm trying to stay away as much from as much as I can from teaching old dead white guys as examples, but I love adding history to my lessons. What are some historical artists from other races to make my examples more diverse? Thank you for all you do, and I hope you are doing well and staying sane in these crazy times with COVID. Thanks, Jenny. That's a very good question. Yeah. I wish I had learned about Edmonia Lewis mm-hmm. in middle school or high school. Mm-hmm. Or Faith Ringgold would be yep, a good yeah. one. Agreed, agreed. I mean, one of my favorites is always Frida Kahlo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Frida Kahlo, you know, woman of color, just surrealist artist. There's so much to talk about there. And I feel like that is a very accessible starting point for a high school student. And very attractive to the youth. Absolutely. The youth yes. love Frida for sure. Truly. Absolutely. You know, it's, I think that that is a really fun place to start. And especially because Frida's work is i don't know if i want to say maybe accessible is not the right word but because of her hyper realist surrealist style there's rich symbolism Mm -hmm. so you have a work that you can pick apart based on the symbolism by itself you can also talk about surrealism Mm -hmm. you can talk about feminism you can talk about you know being mixed race so a lot of her works sort of straddle that line am i indigenous am i european Mm -hmm. what does that Mm -hmm. mean what does it mean to be a mexican artist Mm -hmm. i i always i think that frida is a great place to start definitely yeah kids Definitely. Yoko Ono. Oh, my God. Yes. Yoko is so much fun, especially because... There's a lot to talk about. There's so much to talk about, and also... I want to get them while they're young. I don't yeah. want them. Yeah. I don't want <laughs> kids em. to be out there knowing nothing about the Beatles. They don't know anything about Yoko Ono other than the Beatles were a band a long time ago. Some chick came and ruined everything and she just screams also like the idea that kids can't handle conceptual or performance art like that's too advanced for them they can a thousand percent understand it if you explain it to them at a young age so much fun not just keeping it to just like painting yes exactly which is so common for kids and i think too once again speaking to the youth like i think Given the current environment, you know, TikTok and like the ways younger people are expressing themselves artistically, performance art is very valuable. They get it. Yeah, (laughs) they get it. They or they want to get it or Mm -hmm. that is going to inform them in a way that, you know, because because, yeah, not everyone wants to be a painter, you know, like like there are plenty of artists out there that just don't want to just focus on painting and things like that. And yeah, and I think. Young kids, when you, yeah, when you're trying to hook them, there are a lot of people that will resonate with something more conceptual, more performance based mm-hmm. that they maybe wouldn't resonate with the more typical stuff. So yeah, definitely Yoko for sure. Those are some really fun places to start. We have some Carol. lovely episodes on both Frida and Yoko Ono. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I recommend them for the under 18 crowd, right? Yeah. You know, well, we have we have an art history baby on Faith Ringgold. There you go. Who I mentioned. And, and that one are, is clean. Mm-hmm. So you can yeah. check that out for mm-hmm. a younger audience. We have a 
Babe's Brief, Babe's Brief episode on Marina Abramovich for another like performance Mm -hmm. artist background. A reminder to our listeners and our teachers out there, we do the Art History BB episodes specifically so they can be used in those settings. Still, it's always a good idea for you to listen to them first, obviously. Yes. Um, But we we don't swear in them and we try and make them a little bit more accessible for uh, like high school age audience type of thing. So Art History BBs, if you're looking for audio as an educational tool. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Check it. Also, I just want to like really briefly give a shout out to, I believe her name was Amin. That might not be right. Anyway, I met a lovely listener in Sacramento the other day. I just want to say if you're listening, thanks for being a listener. You're awesome. It was really nice to meet you. And I'm sorry that I was so weird when we were talking. <laughs> I was PMSing and I had a really bad day. And, uh, you know, I just uh, acted kind of like a, a weirdo. But I was very, very happy to have someone say, are you Jen from the Art History Babes? I was like, oh, yes, I don't know how to act. <laughs> so if you're listening, you're awesome. Keep it up. You're doing great. I love when people recognize me somewhere. It makes me feel like a million bucks. Million. Or- Thank you, everyone. We love you. We love you. Um, we're gonna we're gonna go to sleep. <laughs> well, if, if we're not up all night being spooked. Oh, no. <laughs> the I'm, house I'm is so creaky spooked. and creepy right now. I'm gonna sleep through it all. It's pretty creepy right Maybe. now, I will admit. But um, it's very windy. Very dark. (laughs) We hope that you've been enjoying our spooky season here at the Art History Babes. Yeah. And uh, check out the Patreon. Yes. Uh Always check out the Patreon. Lots of fun new things on the Patreon for y'all. Go check it out. Oh, also, there will be a discussion board. On this episode, sure on will. the Patreon. Yeah. So we'll if have you some have discussion questions. If you can hop on there, you can all chat about them. They're 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 pretty popping. The discussion boards. We're getting some good stuff on those. That's yeah. awesome. Check it out. We'll we'll come up with some good questions for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're getting good at this. Yeah. So patreon.com slash art history babes. Check out all of our offerings over there. We really, 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 really appreciate all of our patrons. Really, really, y'all are dope as fuck. We love you. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks for supporting us. Check us out on all the social medias. And we love you. (laughs) Yeah, that sums it up. The end. Finn. Yeah, I was just going to say, did we um, say what the white horseman looks like? I don't know if we did. I mean, I just said like the bow, the white horse, the crown. Is there more? (laughs) You know what? Forget all of this. I'm I'm not like 100%. (laughs) That look on your face. My eyes just glazed over like, what have I done? (laughs) (laughs) Can we just uh, forget I said any of this? (laughs) Thanks.